All right, so let's uh, take a look at John 17, verses 1 through 5. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Grass withers, flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we... Consider it further tonight. Heavenly Father, we are, we're glad to be here. We're here. We've come for any number of reasons, maybe known only to, uh, to each one of us. But what we need more than anything, whether we know it or not, is to hear from you. We need to hear your word to us. And God, for that to happen, we need you to break, to break in by your Holy Spirit. We, our ears are naturally deaf, our eyes are naturally blind, and so we need you to work and change that so that we might hear and see. And we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you have seen, this is going to be fun and sort of date me, how many of you have seen the movie City Slickers? Okay, like one or two. How many of you have heard of the movie City Slickers? Okay, like now seven. Okay, well it came out in 1991, which was before your time, I guess, Um, which is kind of hard to imagine, but Billy Crystal, Jack Palance, anyway, so it's a story of a guy named Mitch Robbins, who's played by Billy Crystal, and he is essentially going through a midlife crisis, and he goes all the way out uh, to the Wild West on this like cattle drive adventure thing to try and figure out what life is all about, right? And there's this great scene early on that sort of sets up the movie uh, where the cowboy that's in charge of the whole adventure, his name's Curly, played by Jack Palance, he tells Mitch the secret to life. And here's the conversation. He says, do you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch says, no, what? And so Curly, as he holds up one finger, he says, this. And Mitch says, your finger? And Curly says, one thing, just one thing. You stick to that, and everything else don't mean nothing. It's actually not what he says, but I edited it for RUF. (laughs) And so Mitch says, well, that's great, but what's the one thing? And Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. And that's the whole movie, right? You spend the rest of the movie, Mitch is trying to figure out what the one thing is. He ends up deciding, spoiler alert, you haven't seen it in, what, 30 years, and whatever, however long it's been, too late. Uh, he basically decides it's his family, and it's, you know, he's restored to his family, it's beautiful, all that. So, now that might be a little cheesy, you know, Hollywood and whatnot, but I think it actually helps illustrate uh, a great point. That it actually really is true, no matter who you are, that there is essentially one thing. Whether you're conscious of it or not, There's one thing that matters most to us. 
And so my question for you tonight is, what is it for you? What is it for you? What's the one thing that matters more than anything else to you? What should it be? And if you've never, maybe you've never thought about it. Again, you have it by default. Wouldn't it be great if you had that sort of clarity on life? That there is one thing that life is supposed to be about. Because whatever it is that you decide that matters the most to you, right? that one thing that matters more than anything else, ultimately that's going to define you. It's going to define who you are. And it will essentially define how much you matter. And so in our passage tonight, I think Jesus essentially is telling us what that one thing is. And he's telling us that it's the glory of God. Right? We've been studying this semester, we say it every week, we're studying through the farewell discourse. Jesus' farewell speech to his disciples. He's about to leave them, they're going to be on their own without him physically there, but, but trying to follow him still. And it's essentially what he needs to tell them so that they can face the everyday Christian life. And so he's actually, in some ways, closed his uh, farewell speech, and now he begins uh, his prayer, right? And this is the very beginning of the prayer. And so we actually only have two more, RU, we have three more RUFs, one of, them, one of them is our Lessons and Carols. So only two more times in, in our uh, farewell discourse here, if you can believe that. It's going by fast. But what he tells us here, Jesus says, as he begins to pray for his disciples, the first thing that he prays for is that he prays for this one thing, that he would be glorified so that God would be glorified. So in short, he, he prays that the glory of God would be revealed. That his disciples would see the glory of God. And so I want to look at three things tonight about the glory of God. So we're going to see three things. First, that God's glory is who he is. Hopefully that will make sense in a minute. Secondly, we're going to see that God's glory is revealed in what Jesus accomplishes. And thirdly, we'll see that God's glory is revealed in how Jesus accomplishes it. So first, God's glory is who he is. Right? So we, we have Jesus, uh, he's just given his, his farewell speech and now he starts to pray. Right? And what he asks God for first is what he considers to be the most important. That God would be glorified. You see it in verses 1, verse 5. And in verse 1, you see that Jesus prays to be glorified for the sole purpose that he can glorify God. So what exactly is Jesus praying for? I think the first thing that we need to do is figure out what we mean by glory. Right? It's probably one of those words that you know, I feel like I know what it means, but it's sort of maybe hard to define. All right, so the word glory in the Old Testament... The, the root of the word essentially means, uh, it's the same word for weight. For how heavy something is. Right? So you, you kind of get the idea that how much glory something has is how much, how much weight it has to it. Right? How, how dense it is. And I think we could say um, that really it's caught up in, 
in the idea of how much something matters, right? That's the way that I want to want us to think about it. So when we talk about the glory of God, now certainly we can't plumb the, the depths of all of that, right? But I think it's fair to say that we can think about it along the lines of, of how much God matters. How heavy, how weighty God is. That's his glory. One theologian that I read said essentially that it's the sum total of all of God's attributes. That's his glory. That everything that God is, in his sum total, is his glory. Our, the Westminster Confession Catechisms uh, says that God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That all of that added together is God's glory. All right? And so let's be clear to say that, that Jesus is not praying that glory would be added to God, right? That as if God is um, somewhat glorious, and now uh, he's praying that, that that glory would be added to, that he would be even more glorious than he has been. But essentially what Jesus is praying for is that the glory that he just is would be evident, that it would be revealed, right? He's praying that... the that God would now show the world that the one thing that matters more than anything else is how much He matters. Does that make sense? It's the most important thing. That there's nothing more important. Nothing has more significance to it. That nothing has more weight or matters than He does. That's what He's praying and now that might in some ways sound like a, a pretty tame point to make. But if we make a, I want to make a, at least one, one application of that real quick before we, before we move on. Because in some ways it has some pretty difficult uh, applications or implications for us. Right, think about it. Why does God's glory have to be revealed? Why does Jesus have to pray that we would be able to see how much God matters? And the sad truth for us is that he has to pray that because it's not because it's not evident. It's because we can't see it. And maybe even better stated is that we don't want to see it because we don't like it. You see, you and I, by the, fact, the mere fact that we're people, we come into this world not only not able to see how much God matters, not able to see His glory, but actually rejecting his glory for the sake of our own, right? See, actually, you and I, and we could, I think I've said this just about every week, you can go back to Genesis 3 and see the very beginnings of it. See the very beginning of sin in the human race. And what you see then and all the way up until right now is that you and I, look, everybody in here knows this, you all want to matter, right? I know I do, and I know you do. You all want to be, we, we all want to be important. We all want to, to count for something. We all want to have our lives have some sort of significance and importance to them. Right? We all want to matter. And so the way that you and I go about that, 
Not only do we sort of reject God's glory, but we actually are glory thieves, and we try to take it from wherever we can find it. Right? That, that in some sense, uh, is the essence of, of humanity in its, in its nature, in our nature. We try to find glory for ourselves any and everywhere that we can. Right? Think about all the ways that you tend to... Yeah, what are the ways that you tend to find that you try to matter, right? You know, maybe it's your schoolwork. Um, if I can be the best, if I can get the best grades, if I can be the best student, then, I will, then I'll be somebody, I'll matter. Or maybe it's if I get the right job, or maybe it's if, um, if I'm the cutest, or if I'm the skinniest, or if I'm the most athletic, or if I'm, you know, funnier, or if I'm whatever, Right? We look for it in in all sorts of places, and it's essentially just a glory grab, because we want to be, we want to matter. We want to count for something, and we steal God's glory essentially. And you, I think, in some ways, you can feel it the most when it comes under attack, right? When when someone slights, uh, when someone slights you. Or you feel, uh, why do you get so mad when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Right? I mean, is it that big a deal? Like, it's not that big a deal. But I think, I think maybe it's just me. But essentially, what they're saying is that you, you don't matter. Right? I need to be here. You don't. I, I don't care about you at all because you don't matter. On our retreat, on our fall conference a couple weeks ago, I, I, don't even, I can't remember who I was sitting next to at breakfast, but... So all the tables are sort of packed in and uh, sitting there at breakfast. And evidently, right by my chair seemed to be the main thoroughfare. And I keep getting bumped, right? Everybody that walks by just keeps bumping into my chair. And, you know, the first time, you're like, oh, need to scoot up a little bit. The second time, like, I guess I can scoot. You know, and now I'm, like, hugging the table. There's nothing I can do. And you still keep getting bumped. And I start getting frustrated about it. And I told whoever was sitting next to me, because they were basically, like, just, you know, Is it that big a deal? And I was like, basically, every time somebody bumps me, I just, all I hear is, you don't matter, you don't matter, you don't matter. Right? That's what that says. Like, I I can run into you because you don't matter. And maybe that's just me, but I bet it's not. Um, What is it for you that when it comes under attack, oh man, I had another great example uh, of myself that I just won't give. Probably should have given that one anyway. Um, I want to matter a lot, okay? Right? It's, why do you think I get up here and preach? Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, laugh. It's the, you know, it's, whatever, it's the same for me as whatever you do, right? Why do I get up here and preach? Uh, yeah, a big motivation is because I want you to know the gospel and all that. But there's always this part of me that, like, I want to be a good preacher, right? I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm funny and smart and all this sort of stuff, right? Um, and you do the same thing. In whatever way it is. We all want to grab glory and matter in some way or another. All right, so secondly, let's move on to uh, our next two points. That Our next two points are very closely related. In some ways, they're sort of two sides of the same coin. Um, but I want to look at them separately. So the second thing I want you to see is that God's glory is revealed in what Jesus accomplishes. Right? It's revealed in what he accomplishes. All right, so follow the logic of what Jesus is praying here. Jesus is asking God 
to reveal Jesus' glory to the world, which is by his death, resurrection, ascension. And we're going to talk, what was that? Some animal just died? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Not the animal. Um, so he asked, he asked God to reveal Jesus' glory so that uh, Jesus can reveal to the world God the Father's glory. And then notice in verse 2, look in verse 2, he gives the explanation of the way in which Jesus will bring God's glory, which is by giving eternal life to people, which he further defines as, as knowing God, right? Knowing God the Father and the Son. In other words, Jesus is saying that what brings God the Father glory, what makes Him matter, or at least the way He, reve- the way he reveals what, the way in which He matters the most, is by bringing people to know Him. By bringing people from death to life. That that's the way that He that what he accomplishes is bringing us from death to life, and that's what reveals his glory. He wants people to know him. So think about that for a second. Well, actually, think about this. If, if you could be famous for anything in the world, right, anything you could cook up, you could be the most famous person in the world, what would you want it to be for? Right? It's, a, it's a fun daydream. Think about it, right? Would it, would it be that you are the, the greatest athlete ever? Or maybe the best actor or actress? Or the best politician? Or the, you know, what would you want to be famous for? You see what this is saying? That essentially what God wants to be famous for, it, for all the glory that He just is, what He wants to be known for is that He takes people that hate Him like us. He takes the people that try to steal his glory. What he wants to be famous for is taking those people and bringing them bringing them to know him. He wants to take those people that hate him, that are dying, right? When we grab our own glory like that, it just leads to death. He wants to be famous for for taking those dead people and raising them to life. Isn't that amazing? He reconciles us so that we can prosper. And so really what that means, and we're going to flesh this out more in just a minute, is that you and I don't have to be glory thieves. That He actually wants to share His glory. He wants to give us the glory that He has. So you and I don't have to actually grab for it. And that's actually what brings us true and everlasting life. That we can actually know God. And we can find life in that. So again, we'll flesh that out in just a minute. Thirdly, and again, this is very closely related. But thirdly, I want you to see that God's glory is revealed in how Jesus accomplishes it. Right, in verse 1, Jesus says that his hour has come. So what does he mean by that? What's his hour? Well, if you look back uh, in 13, John 13, 1... It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, right? His hour was his departing out of this world to the Father. 
So in other words, it's his, it's his death and his resurrection and his ascension. So what does that mean? Essentially, it means that Jesus is praying that the way in which God is going to reveal his glory to the world. What is that? It's the golf cart. It's the golf cart. Lovely. Um, that the way in which God is going to reveal his glory to the world is by doing what it is by his death and his resurrection and his ascension. So think about that for a second. That, that the way he's going to reveal glory, the way he's going to show how much he matters, is, in other words, the way he's going to accomplish this is by death on a cross. Because that seems so backwards, right? If you're going to show how much you matter, why would you go about it like that? If you think about it, in some sense, at least from our perspective, all of Jesus' life is backwards. Right? He comes, he displays the glory of God by being born as a baby. A helpless baby. And not just a helpless baby, but to a dirt poor family. He's born in a barn. Right? It, and that was even such a big deal in the first century that they highlight it in the Bible, right? He's born in a barn to a poor family. He lives in a sinful world. He hangs out with a bunch of losers. Those are his best friends and the people that are around him. He never has a house. He's hounded by the religious people. He's hounded by the government. He's betrayed by his, one of his closest friends, and then all of his friends leave him and run away. He's falsely accused, arrested. He's given a fake trial, essentially. And then he's executed in the most, about the most shameful way you could imagine. And there's God's glory, right? So why in the world would he do that? Well, listen to Philippians 2, 6 through 9. We're jumping in the middle of a sentence here and it's speaking about Jesus. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In other words, the way in which he has revealed God's glory to the world is by taking his glory and laying it aside. That's actually the most glorious thing he could do. And it's so glorious because I want you to think about this. It didn't have to be that way. It, that's not the only way that Jesus could have revealed the glory of God and shown. It's not the only way that he could have shown how much God matters. It's not the only way he could have been victorious over evil and death, right? It, it didn't have to be the cross. He could have defeated evil and death by showing up and displaying God's holiness, and displaying his wrath against evil and against wickedness, and just wiping it out completely. And it would have been awesome. It would have displayed glory like, 
like nothing else. It would have been glorious. But the only problem is, is that it would have wiped you and I out with it. Because we are the problem. We are the wickedness, right? But the way that Jesus chose to reveal glory was to lay aside his own glory and go the way of death. And so we see that we still see the spectacular awesomeness of God's judgment, but it comes on him. And so what you see on the cross is still frighteningly awesome. Because God brings his full wrath down on Jesus. And he takes his glory and he credits it to you. He takes his righteousness and he gives it to you. But it didn't have to be that way. You see how much more glorious it is though. I thought about it like this. I think this is a good illustration. I like this one. Alright, so think about if the Hunger Games were real. Right? Hunger Games... If you don't know the Hunger Games, I can't help you. Um... If the Hunger Games were real, if what we did in the United States is we took one person from every state, so we had 50 people, right, that get chosen, and we send them out to some place like, I thought the best place would be Yellowstone Park. So you take 50 people and you plop them in Yellowstone Park, and we got all the cool technology where we can watch it, you know, and, and see everything that goes on. And it's, a, it's the last one standing, the last one that survives is, is the winner, Right? Now imagine if one of those 50 people just happened to be in the prime of his career and was a Navy SEAL. And you, you know, you've chosen at random, and one of those guys was a Navy SEAL. Now look, I've read a couple of books. That's the extent of my knowledge, but you know, I have read a couple of books. They are unbelievable, right? They, what they can endure... The efficiency with which they can kill people, (laughs) it's just true, right? It would be, now as gruesome and as strange as this little illustration is, right? It would be astounding to watch. Now, that may not be a good thing to watch, but the efficiency with which they would go about defeating the other 49 people would be pretty dang impressive, right? And, you know, he would be heralded and, you know, it would be, right, he's the greatest guy ever, apparently. All right, but I want you to think about this. What if, instead of doing that, as awesome as that might be, he found, he found the weakest of the other 49. And he protected them. And he took out, he got rid of all other 48 And then he got rid of himself so that that one could live. The one that would never make it, right? The strongest one laid down all of his awesomeness so that the one that was weak could make it. You know, you get the picture, right? Which, which story is greater? Yeah, the first one, that's pretty amazing. But the second one, is almost unbelievable, right? Every year there's a winner and somebody defeats everybody, it just happens, but nobody does that. And like I said, I think that's a decent, it's just a taste of what you see here. That Jesus lays down his glory so that you and I can have it. 
So what does that mean for us? We'll finish with this. Well, it means that it means that, that for the first time, maybe if you're not a believer, that maybe for the first time you've recognized that, that, that you need to lay down your glory. That's actually not even that glorious, right? That you can actually lay down your glory, that fe- and that feels like dying, right? To, to give up the things that you think, that's me. That, that makes me matter. To give that up. Because it's actually the only thing that's what's killing you. You can actually give that up and and lay hold of Jesus. Because he lays down his glory so that you can have it. He shares it with you. And and maybe you need to do that for the first time. Maybe even tonight. And that would be wonderful. What else does it mean? If you are a believer. It means the same thing really. That you can, that you don't have to glory grab in all the ways that we try to. Right? Certainly it's fine to try to make good grades and be, you know, be whatever it is you want to be. Try to be, um, you know, try to be athletic and try to be smart and try to be this, you know, whatever. But that you don't have, that's not what makes you matter. Because you know how it goes. The more tightly you try to hang on to those things and grab hold of them, the, the slipperier, however you say that, they are. The more it slips through your fingers, right? Because you either just can't get it, or when you do get it, you realize it's just not enough. And so what this means, that if the one thing really is God's glory, and the whole thing about God's glory is that he wants to lay it down and share it and give it to you, it means that you can actually lay down your your false glory and you can actually rest in his and that's what it means it means rest it means you get to quit trying so hard right it means you get to quit quit the the competition it means you get to yeah get off the 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 rat what hamster wheel right the treadmill that just keeps going and going and going you get to rest you get to rest in what Jesus has done for you. You get to rest in the fact that he's taken his glory, laid it down so that you can have it. And that's the good news. And that's the invitation for you tonight. I pray that you'll take it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that we, pray that we would see that the, the most important thing, the, the one thing that matters more than anything else is you. And somehow the mystery, the beauty of all of, of all of this, of your good news, is that the thing that matters most to you is us. Jesus, I pray that we would all in this room grab hold of that truth. And that truth would reign in all of our hearts. And if that's not the case for everyone in here, Jesus, would you please make it so, maybe even tonight. And we ask it in your name. Amen.